0: And good evening. Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Anchor FM and um, Spotify and some of the other platforms that we're doing uh, Sunshine USA on. And my name is Warren Landis. I'm your host and Bible study teacher here on Sunshine USA. And so as usual, it is so great to have you tuned in uh, for this evening. I tell you, it's been a great day. And it's about to get even better because of the fact that we're getting ready to dig into the Word of God. And to me, that is the best part of my day right there. That part of the day where we get into the Word of God to see what the Word of God has to say to us. And and you know, it's interesting, because no matter how many times you have read the Word of God, and of course, at my age, 66 years old, I can tell you, I have been reading the Word of God personally for years. And I can also tell you that personally, every time I open the Word of God and I begin to read and study the Word of God, that I get something new and fresh out of it. And I just really thank God so much for that, that I get something new and fresh out of it. Uh, You know, the Bible is a powerful book. The Bible says that God's word will not return void, and even though I can't tell you how many people have been saved under this ministry, or maybe rededicated their life to Christ under this ministry, I can tell you God's word does not return unto him void. It produces results. Amen. And therefore, we know that the results are there, even though you know we may not know about all the results. But one of these days, when I get to heaven... I will personally know what the results are I mean seriously I'm going to know what the results are because I will meet in person I believe some of the people that have been led to the Lord through this ministry or maybe they rededicated their life to Christ through this ministry and you see to me that will be very exciting okay okay now um, let's get out our Bibles and turn in our Bibles to um, Acts chapter 9 and once again I'm using my digital Bible here on my smartphone so it's just a matter of punching up the the book and the chapter in that book and like I say tonight we're on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Now. When we left off with the Bible study yesterday, we know that there was a great deal of persecution going on. And a lot of this persecution was happening at the hands of Saul. And uh, Saul, who was originally from Tarsus, he um, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had a very powerful seat on the board of Sanhedrin. And even the persecutions that he didn't personally handle, uh, those persecutions had to have his signature of approval. And so there was virtually no one in those days being persecuted who was not being persecuted under the hand of approval of Saul himself. And in fact, we find that as chapter 9 begins, his work of persecution if anything, is beginning to expand. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. And he approached the high priest and requested letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women belonging to the way, now, when it says belonging to the way, it's referring to believers, he could bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So as Saul drew near to Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light flashed from heaven around him, and he fell to the ground. And then he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, and he replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the voice, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see a thing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus and for three days he was without sight and he did not eat or drink anything." And so this is quite a change coming into the life of Saul. He is on his way to Damascus, maybe on one of his biggest missions of persecution yet. And while on the road to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's what happens when we get saved. We have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. I have heard of some people describing salvation as an experience or as a journey, but it's actually something that takes place pretty quickly, as it did with Saul here on the road to Damascus. Now to be sure this was the beginning of a process for Saul but it all started with that quick instant encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Now I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Saul is very surprised when he sees Jesus. Uh, The indication here is that Saul had never personally seen Jesus during Jesus earthly lifetime. It also means that it's very doubtful that Saul could have witnessed any of the miracles that Jesus did during his ministry here on this earth. But now he is encountering Jesus, live and in person. And in effect, he's a witness to the greatest miracle of all, all, and that is the resurrection. Jesus is still alive. Now, another thing that we could get from this is that when we have an encounter with Jesus, we're never the same again. It leaves us very much affected from then on. We notice, for example, that Saul cannot see. He would be blinded for three days. And so Saul would be dependent on others to take him by the hand and personally guide him on the rest of the way to Damascus. But of course, when he gets to Damascus, he won't be doing what he thought he would be doing. We also take note of the fact that Saul had to be a little bit surprised. I mean, after all, Saul was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish religious leader. And I think it's fair to say that Saul probably saw himself as a person that loved the Lord. In fact, when he was persecuting Christians, he really, in a sense thought, hey, I'm doing the Lord's work. I'm getting rid of these people that don't believe like everybody else believes. But then he has that personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And there we are told that Jesus told him to go on go on to the city, and then he would be told what to do. Now, the people that were with Saul, they heard the voices. They knew that Saul was talking to someone, but they had no idea who he was talking to, and they could see no one. Now we come to verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, here am I, Lord, he answered. And then the Lord tells Ananias, get up. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So this is a very strange request. Now we have to assume here that Ananias was a very religious man. Ananias was a very devout believer. But he had some questions regarding what the lord wanted him to do at this point but ananias answered lord many people have told me about this man and all the harm that he has done your saints in jerusalem and now he is here in here, now here he is in damascus with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name So Ananias obviously knew something about this man. He knew that Saul did not have a good reputation. He knew that Saul was putting all kinds of Christians in prison and having many of them put to death. But what does the Lord tell Ananias? He says, go. Said the Lord, this is this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now he does admit that to some degree Paul will be speaking before the people of Israel, but mostly he will be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, the Lord actually shows great wisdom in selecting Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles. You know why? Because in all likelihood, the Jews were not going to receive him. In fact, we know that all throughout the ministry of Saul, who would later become Paul, the fact of the matter was the people would be very reluctant to receive the ministry of Paul. And the reason they would be very reluctant to receive the ministry of Paul is because they knew him to be a persecutor. And they really felt that Saul was up to no good. They felt like probably what he's going to do here, he is going to find out where the Christians are. He's going to infiltrate their synagogues, and the other places where they meet and congregate and then he will have them thrown into prison and he'll have them carried back to Jerusalem where probably most of them will be killed and Ananias wasn't too hot about the idea (laughs) of being a martyr himself for the Lord and he knew most of his Jewish friends would not want to be martyrs either. But nonetheless, the Lord's decision was very firm, very final. He says, go. And let me tell you something, folks. When God says no, when, when God says go, that decision is non-negotiable. He says, go. And so Ananias went to the house And when he arrived, he placed his hands on Saul. Brother Saul, he said. Think about that. He says, Brother Saul. He knew that since Saul had been converted on the road to Damascus, Saul was now his brother in the Lord. And so, Brother Saul, he said, The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In that instant, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and his sight was restored. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And so we see that Saul has to go through several days of rehab and recuperation in Damascus. The interesting thing is, God allowed him to go to Damascus, but not to do what he originally went there to do. We note that he gets his eyesight back. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And after several days of eating, I'm sure, very good food, uh, he is ready to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, what happens next? Verse 20. Saul promptly begins to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, declaring he is the Son of God. Now, even though God chooses to use Saul as his apostle to the Gentiles, that's not where his ministry begins. His ministry will actually begin with the Jews, and he begins by speaking to them in their synagogues, declaring that he that is, Jesus is the Son of God. And all who heard him were astounded and asked, Is it this the man who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem and on those who call on his name? And has it he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? So we find the people seem to be very well educated as to what Saul had supposedly come to Damascus to do and they didn't like it but Saul was empowered all the more and he confounded the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ after many days had passed the Jews conspired to kill him now I'm sure that what we have here is a situation where the Jews took the position that if they didn't make plans to kill Saul, that Saul, meanwhile, was going to kill them. And so they made plans to kill Saul. But Saul learned of their plot. Day and night they watched the city gates in order to kill him. So apparently they were going to wait until he decided to leave Damascus. They figured he would leave through one of the city gates, and that's where they were going to kill him. One night, however, the disciples took him and lowered him in a basket through a window in the wall. Now that was pretty clever. And it was interesting that the apostles took the initiative to do this. It sort of seems that he had already begun winning over the apostles. But reaching the others was going to be, even yet, a challenge. Amen. So, let's see what happens next. We find that when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, so he goes back to Jerusalem. So far, his travel itinerary hasn't been affected too much. First, he was headed to Damascus. He had intended to go back to Jerusalem with prisoners, but now it seems that he's going back to Jerusalem with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. So apparently he hasn't won over all of the apostles, not believing that he was a disciple. In other words, they apparently were believing some of the same things that people were believing in Damascus. This is somehow a ploy that Saul has come up with to find out where the Christians are so he can persecute more Christians than ever before. now let's go on uh oh (laughs) my finger hit the wrong place and I lost my place but now I've got my place back it's just a matter of scrolling down to the right place Um, here we are so when Saul arrived in Jerusalem he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. And then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and described how Saul had seen the Lord and had spoken to him on the road to Damascus and how Saul had spoken boldly in that city in the name of Jesus. So it seems that one of the first friends that Saul encounters in Jerusalem is a man by the name of Barnabas. Now, of course, Barnabas would be very important later on because he would be Paul's partner on the first missionary journey. But anyway, we find that he brings Saul to the apostles and described how Saul had seen the Lord and describes what a great job. Saul had done, preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ there in Damascus. So Saul stayed with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, and speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, They took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So it appears that slowly but surely he's beginning to win over the apostles. I am sure that he probably hasn't yet won all of the apostles over, but yet we find that he is moving in that direction. It says, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced a time of peace. Why? Why? because they sent Paul off to Tarsus. In other words, the apostles felt like, you know, we've got to get rid of Paul for a while. And that brought a sense of peace over the region. Here we're told that the church grew in strength and numbers, living in the fear of the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Now, once again, one of the things I think you'll recall that I pointed out yesterday, I believe, in the broadcast, is that many times persecution will cause the church to grow stronger than it would without the persecution. Because anytime Satan tries to wipe out the church, it only serves to make the church stronger and stronger and stronger. Amen. Now we find that as Peter traveled through the area, he went to visit the saints in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and put away your mat. And immediately Aeneas got up and all who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, we find in verse 36 in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which was translated as Dorcas, who was always occupied with works of kindness and charity. At that time, however, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upper room. Since Lotta was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent ten, two men to urge him, Come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them. On his arrival, they took him to the upper room. All the windows, widows rather stood around him, weeping, and showing him the tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still With them. Then Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down and prayed, turning toward her body. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened up her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. Peter took her by the hand and helped her up. Then he called the saints and widows and presented her to them alive. Now, I guess, I don't know what they expected Peter to do. Some probably felt like there was a good chance Peter might heal her. Other people felt that Peter was there to preside over the funeral. But she gets healed, so obviously there's not going to be a funeral. That's good. Praise the Lord. This became known all over Chapa, and many people believed in the Lord. And people stay, uh, rather, and Peter stayed for several days in Joppa with a tanner by the name of Simon. Now, uh, next time we'll um, go to Acts chapter ten. Now I know what some of you guys are thinking, <laughs> and you know, as a young Christian, when I first read this myself, I felt the same way. Where's Paul? (laughs) They send Paul off to Tarsus and it seems that Paul is now behind the scenes. But this was probably a good thing because it gave the church a chance to experience a major revival without having to hear anything about Paul and what he might have been doing to try to persecute the church. Now, you know, there's something interesting we could say at this point about Paul, who was then still known as Saul. You have to understand that when you have a bad reputation, as Saul did, when you have A reputation as he did for persecuting the church even when you get saved and get right with the Lord that reputation is not instantly going to be healed it's going to take you some time to experience the healing that you need to receive now like I say it was probably a pretty good decision on the Lord's part to focus on Paul being a missionary, so to speak, to the Gentiles. Because in all probability, Paul had far greater success with the Gentiles than he ever would with the Jews. Now, by the way, with Saul now spending some days over in Tarsus, which is basically his hometown, it might be that, among other things, the apostles wanted to give Saul an opportunity to tell his kinsfolk and his hometown folk about what had happened to him, that he, in fact, was no longer the man that he used to be. He's now a new creature in Christ. Now, notice that the preaching ministry of Saul at this point is very limited. Yes, he does some preaching, but it's still very limited. Now, I think one of the worst mistakes we make as a church when someone gets saved is to put them right away to work in the church. We get them involved... uh, maybe teaching a Sunday school class or we get them involved in some other area of the church but probably first and foremost when a person first gets saved they need to become a born-again child of God who is slowly but surely learning more and more about the Word of God for example when it comes to teaching a Sunday school class You can't teach a Sunday school class if you don't know the Word. You really can't preach the Gospel very much if you don't know the Word. Now, I was listening just this week to a preacher on the radio who testified he answered God's call to go into the ministry, but he never went to Bible college or seminary. And as far as I know, to this day, that young man has never been to Bible college or seminary. Now, by the way, there are some preachers who do just fine not going to school. In fact, some preachers, if they went to Bible college or seminary, you know what would happen? It would ruin them. In fact, I I have known down through the years, I have known some seminary students who went to seminary or Bible college and it ruined them, and the next thing you know, they're not in the ministry anymore it devastated their faith. And that leads me to believe that Bible college and seminary is not for the faint of heart. It's not for those that are spiritually weak. Uh, I I know that when I was a student over at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, I know that um, the seminary back then had a rule that stated if you were not saved for at least a year, you could not enroll in the the seminary because they felt like before you had a chance to do well in the seminary, you needed to have been saved for at least a year and begin the process of growing as a Christian. Okay, now we come to Acts chapter 10. And I, I certainly don't know if we're going to finish Acts chapter 10 tonight. My guess is probably not, but we'll certainly get started in Acts chapter 10. We find that Cornelius sends for Peter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was called the Italian Regiment. So in other words, this was a Roman soldier, a centurion, He was obviously a Gentile, not a Jew. And he sins for Peter. He and his household were devout and God-fearing. They gave generously to the people and prayed regularly. One day, about the ninth hour, he had a clear vision of an angel who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him, in fear and asked, what is it, Lord? So he finds an angel of the Lord coming before him. He's filled with fear. Now, I know some of us today, we think, well, why in the world would he be scared of an angel? Well, think about it. What if you were approached by an angel who was glowing and then talking to you? you would probably be filled with fear as well. What in the world is this? Cornelius responds by staring at him in fear. And I can almost have a vision in my mind of him trembling in his boots, so to speak, or maybe trembling in his sandals. And he says, what is it, Lord? Now, here's something interesting. This shows that obviously Cornelius was a godly man. Because he saw the angel as ultimately being the Lord. The angel answered, Your prayers and gift to the poor have ascended as a memorial memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to call for a man named Simon, Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, when the angel of the Lord who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among his attendants and explained what had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, it's very possible that with Peter being basically the head of the church at Jerusalem, that Peter maybe already knew something about Cornelius. And almost certainly he had to know something about the money that this man Cornelius was giving to the work of the Lord. So the next day about the sixth hour, that would be about 12 noon, or as we Baptists would say, chow time, lunch time, as the men were approaching the city on their journey, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, this shows that Peter is thinking right. He knows that before he meets with Cornelius, he needs to pray. He needs guidance from the Lord. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. So picture here a picnic blanket being lowered to the earth by ropes, each rope attached to the corner of the blanket. And it's being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth, as well as birds of the air. And then a voice said to him, seemingly this was the voice of the Lord, saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter knows there's a problem here, though. He says, No, Lord. He says, I have never eaten anything unpure or unclean. And then the voice spoke to him, The second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and all at once, the sheet was taken back up into heaven. Next in verse 17, we see, while Peter was puzzling over the meaning of the vision, I mean, let's face it, Up to this point, Peter had always been a very devout Jew. And all the food on that blanket, it was the kind of food that Jews were not allowed to eat. And so even though Peter was very hungry, he couldn't easily bring himself to eat it because It was not kosher. It was not Jewish food. So while Peter was puzzling over the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house and approached the gate. And they called out to ask if Simon, called Peter, was staying there. As Peter continued to reflect on the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, Three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without hesitation, because I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, Here am I, the one you were looking for. Why have you come? Cornelius the centurion has sent us. They said, He is a righteous and God-fearing man with a good reputation among the whole Jewish nation. Now, by the way, that is why I say that Peter had to know something about this man. Now, he may not have known him well. Uh, You know, a lot of times people will come up to me and they'll say, do you know so-and-so? And I'll say that name doesn't ring a bell with me, but maybe if I saw a picture of him, I would know him. And that was probably the case here. He says, With a good reputation among the whole Jewish nation, a holy angel instructed him to request your presence in his home so he could hear a message from you. So Peter invited them in as his guest, And the next day he got ready and went with them and accompanied By some of the brothers from Joppa. Then in verse 24, the following day he arrived at Caesarea, where Cornelius was expecting them, and he called them together as his relatives and close friends. As Peter was about to enter, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet to worship him. But Peter helped him up and Says, stand up. He said, I am only a man myself. Now, this tells us something good about Peter. Peter did not see himself as a celebrity. He did not see himself as a super saint, and that was a good thing. You know, (laughs) I'm afraid we have preachers today that some way, somehow, see themselves as super saints. Think about it. They see themselves as super saints. They see themselves as men who are special, maybe extra holy, but Peter didn't see himself that way. He says, I am only a man myself. As Peter talked with him, He went inside and found many people gathered together. And he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now bearing in mind, once again, up until this point, the message of the Lord was pretty much limited to the Jews. There was not much evangelism directed at the Gentiles up to this point. But we're beginning to see this is about to change. So when I was invited, I came without objection. I asked him, Why have you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this, the ninth hour. So that tells us it's now three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in radiant clothing stood before me and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you were kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything that the Lord has instructed you to tell us. And I guess if you could give a title to the message that Peter is about to deliver, it would be titled, Good News for the Gentiles. Like I say, the Gentiles up until now have been pretty well excluded from the gospel message, but now they're being included. Then Peter began to speak, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism, but welcomes those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. He has sent this message to the people of Israel, proclaiming the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You yourselves know what has happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee with the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, and with power, and now Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Because, you see, God was with him. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And although they put him to death by hanging on a tree, God raised him on the third day and caused him to be seen. Not by all the people, but by the witnesses God had chosen beforehand by us who ate and drank with him after he rose up from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name and while Jesus was still speaking these words we read the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the message all the circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even to the Gentiles For they heard them speaking in tongues and exalting God. And then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water to baptize these people? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay for a few days. Now, the Jewish friends that Peter had with them were astonished. Because you see, like Peter, they were very devout Jews. And they're not at all sure about all this. They're thinking to themselves God only talks to Jewish people. He doesn't make himself known to the Gentiles. But we don't understand what's happening here. We're we're thoroughly in the dark, we're thoroughly confused. But now Peter is arranging for them to be baptized, and that will bring us to chapter 11, and this is where Peter will report to the church at Jerusalem. Now, we will stop right here. I don't think I'm going to make an effort here to cover any more ground tonight. In fact, I think we've actually done pretty good to cover the two chapters that we have covered tonight. We have covered Acts chapters 9 and 10. But you can clearly see here what God is doing. God is allowing for the church to grow by now including people who up to this point, for the most part, had been excluded. Now the gospel is no longer aimed just at the Jews but at Gentiles as well. How do you think the people in Jerusalem are going to react? Well, we're going to find out in the very next broadcast. That's where we're going to find out. Now, um, we've actually spent more time on the air than I thought. We're now more than 48 minutes into this broadcast, but it's understandable. I mean, after all, the fact of the matter is, (laughs) uh, we did cover two chapters. And I felt like the two chapters that we covered tonight really needed to be covered together, if at all possible. And on platforms like Spotify and Anchor FM, we actually have more time available to us than on some of the other platforms we have. We have some platforms where we're actually limited to 30 minutes. But here we have access to an hour if we need it or want it. And we'll probably come closer to taking that full hour tonight. Now, once again, let me share with you, we have two email addresses that you can use if you want to send me any Bible study questions or any prayer requests, or if you would like to uh, make uh, maybe... uh, a statement about how the Lord has used the ministry of Sunshine USA to lead you to Jesus as Savior. Or maybe you have come to know God's Word better by listening every day to Sunshine USA. And so that would be good to hear as well. Now let me give you my snail mail address in case you want to talk to me the old-fashioned way by letter. My snail mail address is Warren Landis, 3001, Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. That's Warren Landis, 3001, Old Buncombe Road, apartment number 8, Greenville, South Carolina, 29609. And before you seal that envelope, you might want to pray about whether the Lord would have you give a financial contribution to this ministry. Now, like I say, I don't receive a dime of this money. None of this money goes to me. It all goes to the Lord's work. For me, this is simply a labor of love. And I want to spend whatever remains of my lifetime preaching the gospel, and teaching the Bible on the Internet. Now, there's some other ministries we would like to get involved in, too, and that's really where the money comes in, because some of the things we want to do, like buying airtime on radio and TV stations, that's going to be pretty expensive. And in order for us to do that, we're going to need all the financial support we can get. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, our time is gone and i've enjoyed being with you this evening and come back again tomorrow evening we'll try to do it again until next time this is warren landis saying goodbye god bless you and i'll see you again next time on sunshine usa